Children often decide at an early age what they want to be when they grow up. When that decision requires more than 12 years of education beyond high school, not everyone makes it. I think if you ask my mom, I think she would say that I always known and that I always wanted to be a doctor. I think that comes from the fact that I had a wonderful pediatrician who was a, a great role model for me. That's nephrology fellow, Dr. Carlos Romero, who had a kidney transplant at the age of 12. I'm Monica Fox, Director of Outreach and Government Relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host for this edition of The Journey Continues. This time, I'm talking to Dr. Romero about how he decided to become a pediatric nephrologist and the difference he hopes to make. Take me back before you were Dr. Romero. What's your favorite childhood memory? Thinking back, I would say growing up in Mexico is one of my favorite memories. I remember going to swimming classes, taekwondo classes, and my mom made a mission to have us involved in as many activities as possible to stay healthy and active and that's what I remember the most. I, I remember my, my mom taking us to all these activities and competitions. And I just remember doing that with my siblings. And it's one of the memories that I, I cherish the most. That sounds like an amazing memory. It sounds like you have a wonderful mother. So how did your childhood affect the work that you've chosen? I think it affected it because my childhood went from happy doing all the things that I love to a in 24 hours change completely. I had appendicitis and during my ultrasound to diagnose the appendicitis, they noticed that my kidneys were very small. And that triggered a million other appointments to figure out why were my kidneys small and what were the next steps that we needed to take. And it was just one imaging that changed our life forever in, in, like I said, in 24 hours. That, I think, affected me because I realized that I wanted to help other children who are growing and, and developing well, and out of nowhere, their life changes forever due to a medical issue. And I wanted to make sure I was one of those people that were there to help them out. And how did you feel when you received that diagnosis at that time that your kidneys were small and they had to take you through all these medical processes? I was 12, so I, I can honestly say that it's, it's a hard thing to process when you're 12. You, as a 12-year-old, I was doing what I was told. So my mom would say, oh, we, we got to go see the other doctor now and we got to do this other testing now and... As a 12-year-old, you trust your, your parents and you do what you're told. And I don't think it really hit the gravity of the situation until we were talking about surgery and, and needed um, a kidney transplant. I, I think I can see that also on my patients often when I ask them how they're doing and their responses are all very positive, that they're doing well, that they feel well, but... I know that deep inside, it might not hit them until later when they're going through all this extra poking and testing and, and trying to, to figure things out. And it makes me 
want to be there for them when because it's gonna hit them sooner or, or later and and we need we need to be there to to support them when that happens so were there any other adults that were there for you at that time i know your mother was a big part of it and you said you were going along with you know what she said that you guys had to do but were there any healthcare professionals or other adults helping you to interpret what was happening yeah, so my mom is, has been and and I think will always be my be my biggest supporter, and uh, we had a pediatrician that we trusted so much. My pediatrician actually gave me a blood transfusion from his own blood when I was two months old. So my mom really trusted him and relied on on his support and and guidance, and he was the one to help us navigate the situation when when it happened. That was really one of the things, too, that, that motivated me to become a pediatrician, to have that example of someone that was there for my family. My mom, she had an extensive family support, too, and, and it, it really does take a village, and everyone that supported her it helped her support me. So it, it's just I'm just grateful that she had family and friends who, who were there for her, too. Yes, it does take a village, and especially when you have a child with health challenges. So you said you started to talk about surgery, and that's when you realized, oh, this is getting serious, and you uh, kind of realized that things were a little more difficult. What happened that you got a transplant? When they told me that my kidney was very small and uh, blood testing revealed that my kidneys were not working, we were able to come to the U.S. At the time, I was living in Mexico, and we were able to to come to the U.S. Uh, for a second opinion. And here, actually, at Lurid Children's, which back in the day was in a different location, but it, it was the same institution, they confirmed the diagnosis, and they were incredible. They helped my family with the evaluation process so that I was able to get a kidney transplant and not have to go through dialysis, uh, which was incredible from the, the, the support that I received from the hospital. That is incredible. So does that mean that you had a living donor transplant? Correct. Yeah. So my mom uh, did all the testing to see if she would qualify as a donor, and, and luckily she, she did. And I, I still remember the date. It was June 15, 2001, when she gave me one of her kidneys. And um, that kidney lasted close to 17 years. So like I said, my mom has been an amazing and incredible support throughout the years. And, you know, she gave me this incredible gift so many years ago. And I'm hoping I can, can make her proud. Oh, I'm sure you are making her proud. That is just awesome that she was able to be your match and give you a kidney and it lasted for 17 years. What happened when that kidney failed? That kidney failed, oh, I think I was I'm blanking on the date now, but I think I was 29, 30. And uh, it also came just at the first time around. This, this also came a bit of a shock for me because I had just seen my kidney doctor and, you know, we we knew that my renal function was declining, but 
we were still as hopeful that my kidney was going to last for another three, four years. So I was like, okay, with the time that I have left, I think I'll be able to finish medical school and even my pediatric residency. But in a matter of a few months, my renal function declined relatively quickly. And I think that in itself came came as a shock to me just because I thought I had more time. I thought I was going to have more time to finish the things that I wanted to finish with, in terms of, of my career. When the kidney failed, I had to start dialysis. I started hemodialysis, which required me to go to an outpatient center three times a week for four hours to clean my blood. As anyone who's being on dialysis can, can tell you, it's, it's a pretty rough process in your body, but it's a necessary process. But thankfully, uh, after a few years on dialysis, I was able to receive another kidney transplant. Okay, so your second kidney transplant, was that a living donor or a deceased donor transplant? That was, that was a deceased donor. You know, I did try to find a, a living donor, but either for whatever reason, it would I was not able to find a, a compatible match. And so I was on the deceased uh, donor waiting list for about four years. Uh, before I, I got the call that there was a kidney available for me. I still remember the call. I They had called me maybe three, four times before that. And this time they called me, I think it was around three in the morning. And they said that there was a match and that I needed to drive to the hospital for the kidney. It's a pretty remarkable phone call to get in the middle of, of the night. But I, I am just so grateful. Yes, that's the call everyone waits for. And so where were you at in your studies at this time? I was in the middle of my pediatric residency. I had I started dialysis during my third year of medical school. And then I moved to Indianapolis to complete my pediatric residency at Riley Children's Hospital, another wonderful hospital. I was working there full time and, and trying to do dialysis also. And I got the call and they found a match and... The kidney was actually in Illinois, so at the middle of the night, I had to drive from Indianapolis to Peoria, Illinois, so I could get the kidney. Oh wow, that was quite a drive, I'm sure. It was, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a bit nerve wracking because it was in the middle of the night, and I was like, "Oh gosh, I hope I'm we're awake enough that we don't hit any any trouble during the road that we that we can make it there on time." But thankfully, no, everything didn't. worked out. And you were a resident, right? So had you been on call? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because that night I was I was going to be on call. So I, I did have to call my pediatric chief and say, hey, listen, I just got this call. And it's, I know it's all last minute, but again, the, the wonderful team at, at Riley, they, they helped arrange that somebody else would cover for me. They were incredible in supporting me throughout this process. Well, you did have a great excuse for not going to work that night, so... <laughs> I don't think anybody could blame you. <laughs> no, they were they were incredible, uh, and the, and the person who covered for me was also incredible, and I'm so grateful that she stepped up to help me out. So most people decide early on uh, that they want to pursue a medical degree. How old were you when you decided to become a doctor? Because I think if you ask my my mom, I think she would say that I always known on that I always wanted to be a doctor. 
And again, I think that comes from the fact that I had a wonderful pediatrician who was a, a great role model for me. Yes. Um, I think it was not until late in my training that I decided to be a pediatric nephrologist. Uh, doing medical school and doing my training, I, I liked everything in medicine. I, th- I thought maybe I could do an intensive care doctor or I could do uh, hematology oncology or I could do a, be a neonatologist. So I, I, I really explored every kind of field within medicine, and, but it was not until very late that I decided to do nephrology. Dr. Romero has been through some prestigious programs to get here full circle to Lurie Children's Hospital, where he had his first kidney transplant. He went to undergraduate at Harvard and U of I College of Medicine for medical school, and he did his residency training at Indiana University School of Medicine in Indianapolis. So, Doctor, I can't help but wonder, what was one of the best experiences in your training so far? I think, and I, and I can recall this so, so vividly, I was in maybe a month into my pediatric residency program. I was doing a rotation, you know, helping out with urgent care at the urgent care clinics. And we had a 15-year-old from Peru coming to the urgent clinic asking for support. He was, re- he was diagnosed with lupus nephritis. His kidneys were failing. He was taking a lot of medicine to minimize the progression of his chronic kidney disease. He didn't have medical insurance. So he was asking for support to how can we connect him with the kidney doctor? How can we continue to prescribe his medication? How can we navigate not having insurance? in this country. And it was actually, it was the last appointment of the day. It was around 6 p.m. I just remember thinking about him and his and his life experience and just relating to how he was feeling the same way that I probably, how I felt when I moved to the U.S. without speaking English and, and not having knowledge of the medical system here in the U.S. I remember just staying with him and the parents to just figure things out. And he, I, I could say he was my first kidney patient because I was able to, to connect him with our continuity clinic and take care of him with the help of the nephrologist at Riley Children's. And we were able to get him the, the care that, that he needed. And I just remember him so well because that's when I realized the impact that I could make in, in patients like like him, patients like I was. And so I think that's one of my most vivid memories from pediatric residency. Wow, that's great. And I'm sure that you have and will have that type of impact on so many other patients. And that's just wonderful that you'll be there for them. Thinking about Cambridge, Massachusetts, Peoria, Illinois, Indianapolis, Indiana, or Chicago, of all these places, which is your favorite city so far? <laughs> oh, gosh. They're all so different, and I, I like them all for different reasons. But I would say Chicago is still my home. Chicago, I, I moved to Chicago when I was 12. This is where I went to high school. This is where I had my kidney transplant. This is where this, this Chicago is, is home. 
So I was very, very happy when I was able to to come back to Lurid Children for my nephrology training. I'm going to say Chicago, final answer. (laughs) Good answer, good answer. What's one of your favorite things about Chicago? You know, Chicago is just such a, an incredible city in just in in really in every every single possible way. It has incredible food scenes. I like to try new places every chance I get. It has incredible parks, museums, nightlife, places to exercise. It's it's really just an incredible city. If I'm not mistaken, one is I think it's been named one of the best big cities in the country for multiple years now. Yeah, and and from a medical standpoint, you know, I, I just have a profound connection to to Lurid Children's and Northwestern Medicine. They're fantastic hospitals. Great city. I would recommend it to anyone. And what's one of your favorite things to do when you're not working? Trying try new places. <laughs> You will to eat. You will find me. I'm always trying to to Google what are the up upcoming restaurants in this city. Trying to, if I get lucky, find a reservation in one of those places so I could go try it out. I would say hands down that's one of my favorite things. Trying to to find those hitting spots that have delicious food and and a great vibe. Sounds great. Um, so how do you feel when one of your patients gets a kidney transplant? It's such an incredible feeling. I, I always say that transplant is life, and the idea that my patients are getting a new kidney and a new chance at life is just I- incredible. I, you know, I, I was able to do all the things that I did because of a kidney transplant. Being on dialysis, is, I always say, is like being, being a bit of a, you know, you bound it to the machine. It really limits what you can do and the experiences that you can have and the opportunities that you could take. And so transplant is life. And and when when one of my patients gets a kidney, it just knowing that their life is going to change for the better, it's just incredible. And and I'm not saying transplant doesn't come with the challenges, but it, it's still the freedom that your patients get and the quality of life. It's incredible. I love this kind of podcast just because I, I think we need to do more to advocate for our patients and to also to educate people out there about being a living donor, you know, and, and the impact that they could have on someone's life. It's just incredible feeling. I actually, one of my patients just a, a few weeks ago got his kidney transplanted and, and I got lucky that I was able to be there with the family. And it's just, it's just an incredible feeling. I can't, I really can't describe it. I, I'm, I know I'm in the right field. I, I, I know this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so it's, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. That is wonderful. It's wonderful to know when you are in the right place. And those feelings, I'm sure, are just, just so confirming. What's the most emotionally challenging part of dealing with pediatric nephrology and transplant? Sometimes feeling that I'm not able to help them as much as I, I want to. So just to give you an example, before I got my kidney transplant, I was really trying to avoid getting any blood transfusions because that could increase your potential antibodies that could impact or affect the new kidney. 
And so when I see patients that are waiting for a kidney that need a blood transfusion, it, it breaks my heart because then I know that that is increasing the chances of, of getting antibodies that could potentially affect the chance of getting, of finding a kidney, a matched kidney. And so seeing, that's just one example, seeing kiddos that I'm not able to prevent the things that could impact their potential for a kidney, it breaks my heart. Or seeing patients on dialysis, I, I just remember how rough dialysis was for me, and I was an adult. And so seeing little kids or seeing teenagers having to go through that also, it just breaks my heart. So it just, it really just motivates me to, to try to get them off dialysis as soon as we can, trying to get kidney to kidney as soon as they, as, as soon as we can and, and really try to get them the care, any, anything that we can do to get them to a better quality of life, to try to help them out. I'm all game, but it can be very challenging when it feels like we're not moving progress as fast as we want to or that I'm not able to prevent things from happening, it can be really challenging. So what life-changing work do you dream of accomplishing to better the lives of children with kidney disease? I really want to be become a pediatric transplant medical director down the road, maybe in five, 10 years from now. I, I know I want to dedicate my life to help patients waiting for a kidney and then who get a kidney transplant. We know that despite all our advances in medicine, there's this particular age group, our adolescents, who struggle the most with episode of rejection, which could impact the long-term survival of their kidney. And so my mission is to try to find what are those factors that we can change for our patient? What are those things that we can modify now that could help us extend the survival of their kidney? Most pediatric patients will need a second transplant in their life, like I did. And getting a second transplant as an adult, I do think is harder than getting one as a, as a child. And so anything that we can do to protect the kidney that they do have, and anything that we can do to extend the survival of this one kidney, I think that's going to be key to keep them in that quality of life, to minimize the time they have to be on dialysis and minimize the time that they are waiting for a second kidney. So that's kind of my mission. Find those factors, address those factors, and and find a way to make sure that this one kidney that they have lasts for as long as possible. So that's my goal. That's what I'm working towards too. And and hopefully I can make a difference. That sounds like great work and I look forward to you accomplishing that. You mentioned living donation already and we both know that we will never reduce the number of people waiting, especially for kidney transplants, without living donors. What would you say to listeners about living donation? I would say that living donation is safe. I can give you the best example that I can give you is my own mother, who gave me one of her kidneys more than 20 years ago. 20 years later, she's doing well. I still make sure that she checks her kidney function and overall her health with her primary care doctor. I would say that overall, kidney do- living kidney donation is, is safe. It requires still a lot of education, and I would say anyone who's interested in being a living donor should just have an open discussion with their 
to doctors to discuss all the the risk and benefits. I, I think one of the biggest challenges I would say is that people don't know exactly what being a living donor entails. And sometimes the there are a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of, of misconceptions about being a living donor. And so I think number one is trying to get that proper education about what it truly means to be a living donor. Because I, I think you'll find out that it's not as a scary process as it sounds. I, I think that that would be it. I, I think sometimes the concern is like, well, I have one kidney. Can I live with one kidney? I think maybe that's question number one. And and just to give you an answer, there are people out there in the world that one ha- that have one kidney and don't even know it. And so, yes, you can live a healthy, long life with only one kidney. And uh, yeah, anyone who's interested, the transplant centers are always very open to chat about what it means to make sure that it's safe for, for you and, and then all, not only made in the physical aspect, also in the mental health aspect. We want to make sure that our donors are able to do it from a mental and a physical uh, health standpoint. And what final words do you have for listeners about registering to be an organ donor? I would say don't don't be afraid to do it. Again, if, if uh, sometimes I understand that there are concerns about what it truly means to be a donor, I would say just have a honest conversation with your primary care doctor or one of our transplant centers, and you'll see that it's not as scary as, as it sounds. I think sometimes we're always scared and afraid of what we don't know. But I would recommend to anyone to just chat with your primary care doctor a little bit more about it so that that you understand the process and what that truly means. I can tell you that, you know, at least from my standpoint, all my family is listed to be organ donors. If anything were to happen to me, I'm also listed to be a a living donor. Anything that I can, that we can do to help others is just a small, small thing. Thank you, Dr. Romero. It's been fascinating getting to know you. Thank you. No, thank you so much. And, and thank you for, for having me. I'm, anything I can, I can do or, or chat about you, about what it means to be a, a kidney patient or how to advocate for a patient, just please let me know. Dialysis and transplant are two treatments for kidney failure in children. Transplant's the best. For more information about programs for kids with kidney disease or about living or deceased donation, visit nkfi.org. I'm Monica Fox, and this is The Journey Continues. Prevention's a key part of our mission at the Kidney Foundation. That's why at the end of each episode, Dr. Melissa Prest offers a health tip. Here's today's nutrition tip about dining out. For people living with chronic kidney disease, dining outside of the home or ordering takeout can feel stressful because it can be difficult to navigate the menu for kidney-friendly food options. So how can you enjoy dining out and keep your kidney diet in mind? Do some homework before you order your food or eat at the restaurant. Many restaurants now include nutrition information on their websites or menus to help consumers make healthier for them food choices. Soups, sauces, and salad dressings will likely have added salt, so be sure to check the nutrition information, if available, before you order. 
and you can always call the restaurant and ask if it's possible to prepare the menu item you desire without added salt. When you do order, do it with a kidney-friendly plate in mind. By ordering a small mixed green salad dressed with oil and vinegar, a steamed vegetable side, a healthy protein that's baked or steamed, and a grain serving. If going with a plant-based protein option like a veggie burger, ask if any preservatives have been added as these may increase the phosphorus and sodium content. A safe sauce choice for most people following a kidney-friendly diet is olive oil and garlic over rice or noodles. Be sure to keep your portions in check and ask for a to-go container when your food arrives. Put half of your main dish in the container before you even start to eat, or if you're getting takeout, portion out your meal on your own plates instead of eating out of the container. The National Kidney Foundation has a great resource called Dining Out with Confidence for people in CKD stages one through four and on dialysis. This resource can be found at kidney.org or you can call the NKFI office for a printed copy to be mailed to you. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Press, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.